All right, I'm excited to share the word with you this morning. Some of you may notice we haven't really been doing any set series for the last couple months, and that's because I'm just being very sensitive to what, the God, what God is saying on a weekly basis. And so I don't want to buttonhole us into a series because he's really been speaking to me as I've been spending time here in the sanctuary during our prayer nights uh, every evening. And on Sunday nights, we've been doing corporate prayer every, every Sunday night at 6 p.m. And so it's been powerful. And I've just been trying to be um, ultra-sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that he's been speaking uh, mightily through his word these last couple months. And I want to continue that and share what he's put on my heart this week. Some verses I want to read are from Galatians chapter 4. I had the privilege of uh, sharing Galatians chapter 4 with the prime timers this week. It was a great time. Uh, you're missing out if you, if you are not joining us on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. for the prime timers. Um, they eat lunch together and share the word together, and it's an awesome time. But as I was sharing these verses, God laid them on my heart this week. So I want to I read from Galatians chapter 4, and then I want to jump backwards to 2 Kings 13 and see if God can't help me tie these two verses together. Starting in verse 1 of Galatians 4, it says, What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole state, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now I want to jump to 2 Kings chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 14. We're going to read a little story here about Elisha. When he, when he had uh, reached the end of his life, he was suffering an illness. Uh, many scholars believe this was just, he died of old age. So we're at that point in his life here. And in verse 14 it says, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Joash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Now, I need you to understand when in Scripture, when you see uh, someone say something like, open the east window, east is representative of what's to come. And so this was a prophetic declaration that Elisha was giving uh, to the king of Israel that you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. And then he goes on and he says, then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them, Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. This is a sad story. This guy, he died mad, okay? He was angry and then he died. But this is an interesting story to me because I, I read it and I think to myself, well, Elisha, how can you be mad at you? You didn't really give any details. I mean, you didn't tell him how many times to strike the ground. You just, you just told him strike the ground. But I think this is a picture of Elisha's angry because he, he, he wanted 
the king to catch something. He wanted to see some passion in what he was doing. And I think it was one of those moments like when you tell your kids, hey, tell your, tell your sister, your brother, you're sorry. Give them a hug. And you know, you get the sorry. They're only doing it because you made them. And I think that's what we're seeing here with the king is this was not something that he actually had a passion to do. Okay, since the prophet told me, one, two, three, there you go. I did it for you. And Elisha's saying, that's not what this is about. If you want to win, you have to have something inside. You have to have a passion inside of you. And so that's these two verses I want to try and marry together uh, this morning. But there's one thing that I have learned about being a pastor, and I've learned some things about what it means to be a pastor's kid, okay? Because my kids, I watch them, and one thing I've learned is there is no room on this campus that my kids don't feel they have access to because they're my kids. And, and I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. But so there's been times that my daughter, Emily, she's now gotten a little taller, but a few months ago, she couldn't even on the office door. We share this church with other, other um, congregations and other things. So we have a, a, a code lock on the office door so that we can keep things in there that no one else has access to. But, but somehow she's a spy. She figured out the code and she couldn't reach it. So she would pull a chair over under the door, press in the code and open the door and push the chair back for a while. I couldn't figure out how she was getting in until I walked in and witnessed it for myself. But there's been times I've walked into my office and found my daughter with her feet up on my desk, eating my candy, watching my TV with the AC on like she pays the bills. (laughs) Do you know why she feels she can do that? It's because of who her father is. And I got to tell you, there's a bunch of Christians that I don't feel like understand who their father is. They don't understand that you are an heir, that everything that belongs to him actually belongs to you. And if you do understand that, I don't know if you actually believe it. You might have head understanding, but heart understanding makes you walk different and live different. That you understand that your father has some things that you have access to. You are a child of God. Some of you aren't experiencing what he has because we get satisfied with less. I think that's what we see of the king of Israel here in this story where Elisha told him, go ahead and strike the ground. And there's something that happens in our relationship with God when things don't happen on our time. All right, boom, boom, I'm done. Where is it, God? But I need you to know this morning, heaven is voice activated, that you actually can release some things in your inheritance by using your voice. The Bible tells us you have not because you ask not, and the timid do not receive a breakthrough. I need some praisers that say, you know what, I will worship until until God's timing when I actually see breakthrough in my situation. I'm not going to stop after one day of praising and praying for something. I'm not going to stop after one week. I'm not even going to stop after one year. If it takes 20 years, I'm going to press through because my God has some things that I have inheritance of. And if it takes that long, then it doesn't matter. I'm going to press until God's timing. There's a praise that brings you your inheritance. And this story, if any story in the Bible illustrates so well, It illustrates that God actually has some things that are released by you asking God. He responds to our action. This is not the only spot in Scripture, if you don't believe me. Uh, Jesus said, you have to forgive or you won't be forgiven. So there's some things that God has that you won't get unless you do something specific. And in this story, the, the Israel had already been prophesied. You have complete victory over Aram. This is yours. And, and then now we see that they don't completely defeat Aram. What changed? Is God a liar? No, God is not a liar. God had prophesied the victory. The victory was theirs. There was something that they not, did not do that God needed them to do 
to receive everything that God wanted for them. And so we, we get in church and we like to say, oh, it must not have been God's will. Or, or maybe we stopped short and we didn't intercede and press in to get everything that God had for us. Because I see people that I started in the ministry and I got called into ministry at the same time as them. And I see some of them walking out everything God had for their life and other ones not. Is God a liar? No, he is not. Some people gave up and didn't press through and continue to develop everything that God had for them. And they got distracted. And I think there's some of us that need to hear this this morning that, that this is what sh- uh, striking the ground looks like. It looks like pounding on the doors of heaven and saying, God, I'm not satisfied with, the, with less. If you got kids, you understand this. You're, my kids are persistent. If they want something from me, they will stand at my bedroom door and knock and just say, Dad, 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 Dad. They're peeking under the door. Me and my wife are like, shh, 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 they, shh they won't know we're in here. But they, don't act like you haven't done it, okay? Um, <laughs> dad! And they will not stop until I answer the door. And guess what? I'm their dad, and whatever they need, I want to give it to them. And some Christians, we knock once, and we say, Father, God, Dad. And we don't receive it in our timing, and we don't persevere, and we're content to just survive the world. But you were not saved to survive the world. You were saved to change the world. And if we're not doing that, then I think God is not finished with us yet. And I see a church that God is preparing to change the world, but I think there's a lot to be done. And it begins with me personally. It begins with you personally saying, God, I will contend for my generation. I will contend for my family. I won't stop until I see breakthrough. I won't stop... Striking the ground. I see many Christians who are surviving, but they're not living. And for heaven's sake, by the time you die, you better live. You better live and press in and say, God, I know you are the source of life and fulfillment is in your name. I don't want some victory. I want total victory. The king of Israel found this out the hard way. He he found out that there's a possibility that God could tell you you can have everything, but you don't get everything. You get just partial victory. And some of you are here and maybe you're realizing, you know what, I, I, I got some freedom, but I don't have total freedom. You know, I, I have some passion, but I don't have the passion I used to have. Or maybe there's some of you here that said, I got saved And then they told me to keep going, press in, and and I'll get the Spirit. And I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but then I stopped pursuing. Can I tell you, you were not, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not for you. It was so God could use you and put something through you. And so when we serve, Pentecostal church, I think for years, has done us wrong by telling us that's the goal, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is a stepping stone into being used by God. That is not the end all. And once you get it, you're not done. That's just the beginning. And we need to press in and say, God, I'm not, now I'm really going to strike the ground because I have the boldness and the passion of your Holy Spirit to do it. Who told you to stop? striking you know why I think that the king probably stopped striking and I think it goes for us as well why many of us stop striking is you get tired of the battles this king every strike in the story we realize it 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 represented an attack on the enemy and he struck them three times And I think many times we're pressing through for breakthrough or freedom in an area of our life. Maybe you keep going around the same sin cycle over and over and you repent and you feel a little freedom and then you fall back into it and we don't receive the total freedom and 
and that God desires for us to have, and I think we get tired of fighting and we give in to the enemy. But I believe God desires for us to have total freedom, whatever that looks like. I don't think he desires for us to stop striking until the enemy is completely defeated in our lives today. Many people don't inherit God's promises, and it's not because God isn't faithful. It's because we refuse to endure. It's because we refuse to keep pressing on. And you know what happens to Christians is... I didn't get my victory, so now when you come to me and you tell me I'm pressing in for this and I'm pressing in for that, I get cynical and I say, yeah, we'll see. I've heard that before. Didn't happen for me. Can I tell you, God never told you to stop striking. Why, why would we get cynical and tear other people's faith down? And God called us to strike until there's breakthrough. The breakthrough is not on us, it's on God. So who told you to stop striking for your healing? Who told you to stop striking for your deliverance? Who told you to stop striking for your kids that are addicted to drugs? I know they frustrated you, and I know they used you up, and you feel like you got nothing left, but if there's nobody else praying for them, God has called you to keep striking and saying, I'm not not finished yet because my God has not given me the breakthrough that I need. And if nobody else is going to do it, I need some people who say, I will finish striking until the breakthrough comes. I will finish until my city is set free. The problem is we have one idea of what it's going to be like, and then, and then we get discouraged when it's not that. Like I said, we want things quick. Sometimes God operates like that. We love those testimonies, right? We love to bring those people up front on Sunday and say, tell us what God did. Yesterday I was this, today I'm this. Praise God. We love those stories. But can I tell you, that's not always how it's happened in my life. Sometimes I had to press and pursue and continue to ask God for the same thing for 10 years before I actually saw it happen. And then I'm shocked that it actually happened as if God didn't promise me that he wasn't hearing my prayers and that it wouldn't happen. But we need to keep pressing. It reminds me. Of when I first got my driver's permit, I was so excited to drive. I remember got my permit for a while, and, and I learned a little something, and then I went and took my test, and I was, I was asking my mom for everything. Mom, do you need bread? I got you if you need bread, right? You don't, you don't need to go anywhere. I got this. I'll do it. I want to help you. And can I tell you, about six months into driving, all of a sudden I realized I don't like driving as much as I thought I did. And I was, like, turning down driving. Like, people were like, you want to go out to eat? I'd be like, you driving? I don't want to go. I don't want to drive. And, and I think that's happened in a lot of our, our walks with Jesus as we saw the promises and we, we got discouraged because we thought it was going to happen in our timing like that. And we saw other people it happened for like that. And we heard the testimonies of how it happened like that. And then we got discouraged because it didn't happen for us like that. And we stopped striking. And now we're living a mediocre Christian life that, that isn't everything that God had ever promised about me. Many of you have had words spoken over your life that are unfulfilled to this day, and you thought to yourself, it's over. That must have been a wrong word. I don't think so. I think God is waiting for some people who say, I'm going to strike the ground until it happens. Because it's not up to us to decide what the promise is. It's up to us to just continue to intercede for it. You see, most of you are here this morning because you're committed to God. If you're not, we're glad you're here. It's okay. This is a home for you. This is a place you can belong to before you become like me or become like anything else that people expect you to be. We're glad you're here. But most of you are probably here this morning because you're committed to God. My question to you is how much victory do you want? How much of a legacy do you want to leave? And what does that look like for you? How much of God's glory do you want in your life and in your family? 
because I think we know the right answers to say on Sunday morning. But God is not looking for our words. He's looking at our hearts. And Elisha, he got so mad at the end of his life because he spent his entire life pressing in for everything God had for him. You remember Elisha's the one who said Elijah, before Elijah died, he was his protege, and Elijah said, what do you want for all these years that you followed me? And all it says he did during these years was poured water on the hands of Elijah. He was in anonymity for years, just being faithful and saying, God, I just want to serve you. I just want to serve you. And then Elijah said, what do you want for what you've done for me? He said, I want a double portion of what you have. I don't want just a little bit. I want more than I've ever seen. I want a double portion of what I've seen before. And now he's at the end of his life and he's dying. And he's saying to this king, you're just going to settle for three strikes? Doesn't anyone want it as much as I want it? Doesn't anyone want to see God move in this city as much as I want it? Doesn't anybody care? about their family as much as you do. I want you to know that there's a time and a place for you to stand up and say, I don't care what anyone else does. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to intercede and I'm going to be a relentless striker just like Elisha was looking for, a relentless striker that doesn't give up when it gets hard, that doesn't give up when I, when I don't see results, someone who doesn't care what it looks like, someone who will stay past noon to worship him. Somebody who, who will even show up on a Sunday night or a Monday night just to press in and say, God, I want more of you. Someone who will even fast to get God's attention. Imagine that. Somebody who says, God, I'm not going to settle. At the end of his life, Elisha couldn't find anyone who wanted it as bad as he wanted it. How bad do you want it? Not based on your words, based on your life and the choices you're making and the priorities in your life right now. How bad do you want it? Because I think a lot of times in, in church, and I'm, and I'm not trying to beat you up, but I am, because I think a lot of times in church we get really good at saying, ooh, I just want Jesus so bad, but my entire week has nothing to do with what I say I want. But I think Jesus is looking for some authentic people, a remnant of a church who say, God, I want everything, every promise in your word for my family. You got to show up, God, or my family's lost. You got to show up, God, or this city is lost. This generation is lost. God, you got to show up, or things aren't going to change. Elisha, he persisted and he, he sowed for years to receive everything that God had for him. And my question to you is, when are you going to strike? Because some of us, we only strike when we're in pain. God, help me. Is God your painkiller or is he your healer? That's my question for you this morning. Is God here for you to just pop a pill when you're going through something hard? Who's serving who here? Is he the one who you just say, all right, God, I need your help now, and I want your assistance. I don't want your lordship. And I think God is looking for some people who say, God, you're not a painkiller. You're my healer. You're my savior. You're my Lord. You're my everything. And I'm not just going to pop one when I need it and ask the Holy Spirit to come just when I need it. This is going to be a lifestyle for me of saying, God, you're my everything. I believe that God wants to move in our families and in our city, but we, have, we see a church in our culture that has refused to continue striking. You know why? We're, we're so casual now. And I am not, I see nothing wrong with, look at how I'm dressed, okay? I see nothing wrong with casual. But I think what happens is we can take things and we can become casual with God. 
We, I mean, think about it. We text and we check our emails during worship now, and we laugh and we, and we joke around. We check our notifications. We make it ch- ch- to church like once a month if we can, and, and we call that good. But God is here, and he's saying, I'm here. Is that not enough for you? Do you also have to see what you're missing on Facebook? Because I'm here, and I want a moment with you. But we're so casual. i got to tell you, there was a time when you came into church and when you even came close to the sanctuary, your mom would say, shh, we're about to go into God's house. You got gum in your mouth, spit it out in my hand. You do not chew gum in God's house. And I'm not saying that it has to do with the gum. I'm saying there was a reverence of the presence of God that's got to return to the church to say this is a holy thing and we're not going to act like we can produce this. We're not going to act like it, like it matters to please everybody here. We want to please God. We want to reverence your presence, Jesus. Send your Holy Spirit to this place. Send your Holy Spirit to these people, Jesus. We repent, Lord, if we become casual with it and treated you as if you're just one of our buddies, but you have heaven, you have all of heaven standing around you and angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And we join in the reverence of heaven and say, God, we're not worthy to stand in your presence, Jesus. But we love you, Lord, and we want to reverence it, God. We don't want to pencil you into our week with 75 to 90 minutes and four songs and and a little of your word, God. We don't want to pencil you in. We want you in every moment, in every day, Jesus. Come and find this place as a habitation for your presence, God. We will steward your presence as a church and as individuals, Jesus. We don't want just a little bit of you. We want all of you, Jesus. All of you, Jesus. All of you, Jesus. We love your presence, Lord. We love your presence, Jesus. Hey, I, I said you to jump in here. I just want to lay this out. And this is, a, this is a hard revelation, but it just hit me so quick as he was saying this. And I've, I've talked on this many times, and I'll tell you it falls on deaf ears because we have an entire culture that has this good saying, but it's now infected the church into a bad thing. And that thing is, we don't want religion, we want relationship. God never condemned religion. He condemned bad religion. The word religion or being religious means that you are entirely devoted in every aspect of your life to a thing. Most of us don't know how to have relationships. And so when we say not religion but relationship, we're saying I'm going to treat God like I treat everybody else in my life and I'm going to call him when I feel like it. I'm going to call him maybe at the end of the week because I don't feel like talking to anybody right now. Oh, God's texting me? I'll text him tomorrow. But a religious spirit, one who's religious about God, one who's entirely devoted, will say, my God is texting me? I got to text him back right now. My God wants me? I need to go right now. I need a church that's not about bad religion full of hypocrisy and that on the outside is clean and the in is dirty. I need a people who's religious saying, I don't care what my outside necessarily is. My inside is combusting with something of devotion to a reverent God. I just want to share one more thing with you. <laughs> like God has cut half my notes out this morning, but it's okay. I think what we see in this story is we see the king of Israel who didn't understand the moment he was in. 
He didn't see it. And you know God speaks to you through moments with him? And this is a moment that I think he missed. Victory was his, but he stopped striking because he did not discern the moment he was in. My question to you this morning, how many moments have we missed because we were complacent? How many times has God wanted to whisper in our ear, but I'm on Facebook? How many times has God wanted to speak directly to my situation, but I was distracted? Or I was looking at my watch thinking, how much longer is this guy going to preach? Because I, I got things to do this afternoon. How many times have we missed a holy moment with the creator of the universe because I got things to do? Does it matter if God is here? Is that not enough? It's all about a moment in this king. He, he missed its moment. It may be okay to miss an appointment this week, but i got to ask you, do not miss a moment with God. And moments do not only happen on Sunday morning. A moment with God that he's ordained might happen on Tuesday night. Are you free on Tuesday night to have a moment with God? Is that okay if your entire week is open to saying, God, if you want to speak, I'm listening. I might be doing things with my kids and preparing a meal for my family, and I might be working, God, but I'm listening. If you want to speak, I'm available for you, Jesus. Because I don't want to miss a moment. I want to keep striking. You see, what happened is, a lot of times we, we, we didn't experience a moment in our timing, and so you won't admit it, but you stop believing what the Word of God says. You stop believing that His promise was for you, you struck and nothing happened, and, and you didn't persist until God's timing intersects your striking. See, we only have one job, striking. God, I need you. God, my family needs you. You promised. Your word says this. God, this. This is what you promised, and this is what you promised. And, and then we get tired, and we stop striking. But can I tell you, there's one more thing that's very important to the striking, and that's that your striking intersects with God's timing for your miracle. I'm telling you, church, we need to be persistent in striking. If you want to see God do a miracle in your family, in your life, in our city, your job is to strike. And then all of a sudden, it's going to meet God's timing, and miracles take place because his church is asking in the right timing, and they're not distracted. And there's a timing to, that God wants to release every promise in his word. But it's time to grow up. It's time to stop quitting every time things get hard. And it's time to stop blaming God when things don't go in your timing in the way you thought they were going to go. That's none of your business, okay? That your business is to strike heaven and say, it doesn't matter what it looks like, God. I believe your word. I believe your word. I believe your word. And with the, the previous generations understood this. When we look at the book of Acts, they didn't always get every miracle they prayed for. But we read about the ones they did get. You know what happened? They were always striking the ground. Not just alone, but together. The Bible tells us they were all together in one accord, in one place, and they were striking the ground one day, right? And then the fire fell from heaven. You see, you don't have to strike the ground alone. That's what the church is. We're a community. And there's many of you going to, through something this morning, but you are not striking alone. Our strike should sound like a clap, like this. Clap with me together and saying, God... 
We, hear, we need you, God. There's a promise in your word that says that you will pour out water on the thirsty land and you'll put streams on the dry ground. And there's a promise in your word that says by your stripes we're healed and we're not going to stop until we see so-and-so healed. We're not going to stop until we see breakthrough in this new believer's life, God. We're not going to stop until her depression leaves in Jesus' name. We're not going to stop until you bring in the prodigals in our families, God. And we're not in it alone and we strike and we make a sound that gets the attention of heaven and God says, I kind of like that. That sounds like my church. That sounds like a church that's spotless and without blemish that I came and died for. God, we're not going to stop striking. We're going to persist. Jesus, if you're in this place and you have a need this morning and you just need some people to strike with you, we're not going to embarrass you. I just want you to raise your hand and say, I need some people. God, you know every need in this room, Jesus. We don't have to know, but God, we believe your promises and we proclaim the blood of Jesus made us heirs to every promise in your word and we believe it over their lives this morning. Breakthrough in Jesus' name. There's power in the blood of Jesus and we believe it, God. And we're not gonna rest until we see every promise fulfilled. We're not gonna rest until you come back. Forgive us for growing complacent and stop. We stop striking at three. Jesus, we're gonna strike until you come and get us, Lord. We're not gonna hope back. God, I'm tired of seeing Christians who are afraid of the enemy when the enemy should be afraid of us. There's Christians walking around like the enemy stole your lunch money. Can I tell you, the enemy flees from your daddy, and so why would he not be afraid of you? I put him under my feet this morning and say he has to go. Jesus, we receive every promise in your word. You have a, you sent your son that makes demons flee, Jesus, and we pray that same power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in us. Show us your glory, Lord. Show us what you want to do in this day in our city. Come on, worship him for a minute with me and just say, Jesus, I'm not going to stop striking.